Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. They offer free checking with industry-leading mobile banking. Who you choose to bank with can make all the difference. Visit firstbank.com to learn more. Welcome in Hokie fans to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. On today's episode, we'll discuss where Virginia Tech football stands as fall camp begins. That's all coming up on episode 302 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, which starts right now. We record on Wednesday, August 2nd from Tech Sidelines High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. And we welcome you in, whether you are listening via your favorite podcast service or watching on YouTube. If you are watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe while you're there. And also to turn on the notification bell so you don't miss any future podcasts. As always, Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. Who you choose to bank with can make all the difference. Bank with First Bank and Trust Company. We're also excited to announce that the Hokie Way has launched Countdown to Kickoff, a matching donations campaign that runs now through the kickoff of the ODU game on September 2nd. Generous donors have pledged to to match the first $250,000 contributed. Visit thehokieway.org to learn more and donate. I'm your host, David Cunningham, Tech Sidelines Managing Editor. I'm filling in today uh, with Giovanni uh, Heater and Will Stewart, both out of town. We've got our full football crew on set this evening. To my right, Chris Coleman, Tech Sidelines Lead Analyst and Columnist. Andy Bitter, Tech tech Sidelines Senior Staff Writer, is across the way. Nick Brown, as always, is behind the scenes producing the show. We're going to hit a little bit on Charlotte. We were all down there last week for AC Media Days, and then we're going to get right into Football fall camp, which has started up today. Tech had its first practice today. The ACC announced yesterday on Tuesday that Virginia Tech was picked to finish 11th in the ACC football preseason poll by the league's media. Andy, you and I both voted. Where did you have Tech? 11th. 11th. That's where I I had had them ahead of, uh, I think, the three below them, Georgia Tech, Boston College, UVA. Did... You said, you told us earlier before we went live that you probably would have had Tech around 10th, 11th. 10th or 11th or 12th, I think, would have all been fair. Probably just based on last year, 11th or 12th would have been more fair because, like, I think they could be better than Syracuse this year, but at the same time, Syracuse went 6-6 six and six yeah. last year, so I don't think you can really justify it, and Syracuse brings their quarterback, uh, well, their, their quarterback returns. So uh, it's a fair ranking. I think Tech could end up higher than that because – you know, I don't know. You guys can speak for yourselves when you do the rankings. Like, do you do you put a lot of thought into each team's conference schedule when you do them, or you just kind of say, "Here's where they were last year, and who's here, who's 
here's who they're bringing back or unless it's extreme right the schedule and i look at somebody like duke this year and right. i'm like they're not going to finish as, as well as they did last year i i don't really look at the schedule i, right. I think a lot of it is just based on how you were doing last year i, I think so and regardless too. of how many transfer additions you made and, and changes in the offseason unless there's just like wholesale changes in terms of coaching and stuff like that it's sort of where you finished up last that's year. What I it's think. how you're going to get voted. That, that's for what the I following. think, and I don't think a lot of people pay attention to the transfer portal because I'll be honest, I still don't pay attention to what other teams have done in the transfer portal. I pay attention to what Virginia Tech does in the transfer portal, obviously, but I don't know who Florida State signed in the portal this year, or, or Wake Forest, or, or anybody, or who they lost, or anything. So, I, I and and but like you said, Duke was the example I was getting to. Like their schedule this year is so difficult, but. What were they picked? Fifth? I think I had them lower than that. Duke was picked. It was tied for sixth. Tied for Duke six. and tied Pitt. for sixth. Okay. I think I probably had them seventh or right. eighth. Yeah. yeah. And I, the schedule did factor I into think that they're one. a better football team than that, probably, but but their schedule is so difficult this year relative to last year that I, I could conceivably see, like, an, if Tech has the best season that they could possibly have, I could see them actually finishing ahead of Duke just because Duke's schedule is, is tougher. And yeah, that, you know. that middle of the ACC is so wide open. Right. I think there's there's room there. I, I think it's, you know, Clemson, Florida State at the top. After that, I think I had Pitt third. Just because I'm not a UNC believer. So, yeah. Sorry, so they're going to score a lot of points with Drake May, but I just, I'm not a believer in the Mac Brown experience there. I'm not a believer in Miami because... You know, history. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how many times can we point to them, yeah. you know, coming up short to preseason expectations? So I think I had Pitt and then NC State up there. Louisville, actually, I think they could be a surprise team this year. But yeah, those are the teams I had sort of up there. And then that middle is just, it's a lot of teams that could be around six and six, seven and five that, you know, a couple unexpected wins here, unexpected losses there. And you could sort of jockey for position in the middle there. I think it's kind of like recruiting, like your five stars are always almost always have success in college, but your four stars, three stars, and, and you know your few two stars these days, you get mixed results with those. There are plenty of four-star busts in college football. So so your talent level between like whether you sign like the 70th-ranked class or the 25th-ranked class is not nearly as big as people think it is if they just look at recruiting rankings. So that, that's why I think those, uh, those middle positions, like you said, it's always kind of jumbled, and it's going to come down to injuries and – scheduling and coaching and whether you found the right quarterback for your system and all that. And honestly, to pick Virginia Tech higher than that, you'd have to be doing it a lot on faith. Right. Because, yeah, they have a bunch of new pieces. Nobody's seen those guys play in this offense, in an offense that ranked 119th in the country last Mm -hmm. year. Like, there's not a lot from last year that would convince somebody just looking at Virginia Tech casually to go like, oh, yeah, I'm a believer. They're going to completely turn that around and be a team that finishes fifth in the league. Like, you just don't do that in the preseason. I could see the Virginia Tech offense being substantially better, but I saw enough things that concerned me last year where – you know, substantially better could be 90th, right? Instead right. of 119th, it's a 20, which is still 20, bad. 20 slot improvement. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty good. It's pretty good, but it's still bad. So I'll run through the the just the list real quick. So Clemson was first, Florida State was second, and then after that it kind of drops off. North Carolina, NC State, Miami was fifth. Duke and Pitt were tied for sixth. Louisville was eighth. Wake Forest was ninth. Syracuse was tenth with eight hundred and twenty-six points. Virginia Tech was eleventh with six hundred and seventy-eight. So quite a wide gap between tenth and eleventh. Syracuse, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech was twelfth. 
Boston College and Virginia round that out. Any surprises? People there? are falling for Miami again, right? Yeah. Right. yeah. Which is no I surprise. I think that was the I mean, surprise I, in the old system. I had that thing after they just got embarrassed in the Independence Bowl where I'm like, Dear Andy Bitter VT, do not vote Miami to win the Coastal <laughs> right. Division, regardless of what happens. And every July 1st, somebody sends me that tweet because I you told it to like tell me this in July so I don't do it. <laughs> somebody still sends me that tweet every July 1st so I remember to do it. And, you know, now that the Coastal Division is gone, people are still giving the Hurricanes more credit than I think they should deserve. What did Miami do last year that would make you think that they would finish fifth, t- t- even t- in this league? Took a bunch of good players and went five and seven. Miami's ahead of Pitt. I mean, Pitt's had a track record of success here like i know they lost a bunch of guys from that defense but they always have a pretty good defense under pat narduzia they got phil Dracovic, who's going to be a, a i would imagine a significant upgrade at quarterback for them uh i i just think that that's a team that should be you know ha, has proven that it's a lot better than yeah. miami where it's all potential with miami it's all potential and you know is mario cristobal that good of a coach is he going to get it done i don't know I, w- I wouldn't put faith in it uh, you know i mean every coach miami hires you're like i can see that working and, right. then, and then it doesn't work. Right. Randy Shannon, Al yeah. Golden, like I, the list goes on and on. And Manny Diaz. Al like, Golden's oh, guy. It's like Al Golden won back. a temple. He can't be that bad of a right. coach, right? It, yeah, it just hasn't worked. It's yeah. been, you know, 15 years of substitute teachers coaching that program Pretty at this much. point. So, uh, you know, I, I like, I think I like Pitt. I like NC State a little bit more. Than a lot. I think I like Louisville a little bit more than a lot of teams. I'm not as high on UNC, not as high on Miami. Just the perennial disappointments in this league where I know UNC has Drake May, but man, that defense was dreadful last year. Yeah, they, And I just, you get them out of the Coastal Division, I wonder how good they're going to be. You, you wonder how their coaching staff changes will have an effect. Yeah, Longo. They lose Phil Longo to, right. to Wisconsin. Right. And, and you know, they, what's uh, that going to do? We've also heard there are rumors that you know, Dre Bly, who was their top recruiter and also a coach in their secondary, did not see eye to eye with the defensive coordinator. So, so you could have a situation where, like, I don't think Virginia Tech's offensive staff last year necessarily saw eye to eye. So maybe you'll see improvement just because the staff changed. Maybe you'll see defensive improvement at UNC because the staff changed. Don't know. I wouldn't bet on it, though. What was the disagreement? Was it that How, the it, defensive coordinator wanted the cornerbacks to cover people when Dre Blyde didn't? It was, it was, like, I, 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 I want to say uh, they wanted the defense, like Dre Blyde wanted more press coverage. And more think, physical coverage. I think any like kind that. of coverage would have been welcome from Correct. that UNC secondary. The, their, their main thing for their defense is they just weren't physical enough. But anyway, this isn't UNC yeah. podcast. Um, so. I, I was going <laughs> to mention, yes, yes, we can move on. We don't need to spend that much time talking about it because at the end of the day, Miami and UNC will probably underwhelm. Believe me, I'm sure there's nobody listening to this that's a tech fan that's like, let me hear less about you guys ripping <laughs> on UNC's chances this year. <laughs> um, for the record, uh, the ACC, all ACC teams came out today. Drake May, he was last year's player of the year. He is the preseason all ACC um, player of the year. Um, no Virginia Tech players on there for the second straight year. I don't think we need to spend much time talking about that. Didn't expect there to be. Like, like the, the only guy you could have reasonably expected to be would be Mansoor Delane. But there's a number of good cornerbacks in this league. And when it comes down and to it, he only, he only started for half a year. I think Jennings could have. Yeah, it's hard as a transfer to right. get the kind of votes. He had the right. stats, I think, that you yeah. could have put him in that conversation. I think I actually 
put him on there? I can't remember. Uh, Holloway as a specialist, I think. You look at the guys there, he could have been an option, but it was such a limited sample size. I don't even know if he'll be the punt returner. (laughs) That's the other part of that (laughs) thing this year. So uh, extremely tough to find a guy to vote for for Virginia Tech on that team, let alone, you know, uh, you know, plurality of the voters in the league mm. voting for for somebody from Virginia Tech. Yeah. No, the, the good news is I think there there's a chance that two or three guys would have an opportunity to, to be on the postseason list. Like if Parker Clements gets back to his early career form when he was grading out really well uh, and makes progress on that now that he's healthy, he could have a shot. Uh, Mansoor Delane, obviously, uh, you know, very good player. Um, Holloway, if he's the part punt returner but I think Dorian yeah. Straw I think all yeah. Canteen Dorian Straw I like all those yeah, cornerbacks they are good They're save good it players. for later we're gonna yeah. we're gonna get to that okay. stuff later okay. all right. so Virginia Tech football players reported yesterday Tuesday August 1st for preseason camp the media has an opportunity to reserve parts of practice tomorrow Thursday we'll talk with Brent, head coach Brent Pry and others next Tuesday's Virginia Tech football's media day and then we'll have a couple different opportunities over the next couple of weeks um just to, to to kind of cover camp and stuff like that. Um, Andy, you published a really good story yesterday on Tuesday. Five questions for the Hokies as they enter fall camp. Uh, You guys can find that at techsideline.com. Outside of the quarterback battle between Grant Wells and Kyron Drones, which of course everybody wants to talk about, what storyline are you most interested in seeing play out in preseason camp? The industry standard five questions before that's always seems to be what it is, is you settle on five somehow. I, I think the major question is how these new offensive pieces integrate with Tyler Bowen's offense and what's he going to do now that he's coaching quarterbacks, a little more control over the offense, direct communication in the quarterback room, has some pieces to play with, uh, you know, new receivers, new running back, uh, stuff like that. Help Malachi Thomas coming back healthy. Um, uh, you know, I think you can be a great coach and still not really have the pieces to do what you want to do offensively. And uh, I know certainly last year Virginia Tech did not have what they needed offensively to do a lot of this stuff. I still don't know if Tyler Bowen is a great coach. I think we'll see uh, with some of the stuff that they have this year. But I, I think that, I mean, that's the question hanging over the program right now. It's like that was the biggest deficit last year was they just were not up to snuff offensively. And they did what they did need to do in the offseason by adding some talent to the program. And now they need to integrate that talent and and perform on the field. And, uh, you know, it's sink or swim time for Tyler Bowen. I mean, he's, he's got the chance now. He's got control and he's got some players he's got to produce. I agree with all that. And then unit unit specific for me is the offensive line. Yeah. Who starts at right guard? Uh, you know, Bob Schick would be the guy right now. Jesse Hansen started last year, but he is retired from football. Um you know, we saw Parker, uh, not Parker Clements, uh, Brody Meadows get some work there, even in the spring game. Um, and obviously you got Clayton Frady come in and who could play guard or tackle. He's kind of a versatile guy. The problem is, like, if you move Meadows inside, then who's your backup left tackle? I mean, Tech still doesn't have, you know, very good depth. It's just a lot of redshirt freshmen there that you expect to be part of the two deep this year. So not only are you concerned about, the you know, who's going to start at the right guard spot, but... Like I, I'm terrified about overall depth. Yeah, I'm, I'm less concerned about uh, offensive lineman number five in the starting lineup True. than I am about offensive lineman number six, seven, eight, nine. Correct. Because this is not an experienced group. It's not like you, you're like, well, they've got their five. These are the the battle hardened veterans, and they go out there and 
uh, they'll be fine. And, you know, these are still developing players and they'll hit rough patches. And sometimes you might need to pull them out for a little bit and just settle them down and get somebody else in the game. You have to have somebody else capable of going in the game. I, they didn't really have that last year. No, and, you know, further limited by they were trying to redshirt some guys. Braylon Moore, obviously a guy they shut down to keep under the redshirt limit. Uh, Xavier Chaplin was injured for a lot of the year, so that wasn't really a consideration. And they got him in at the end against Liberty. But uh, you just need some options. And last year, you know, they weren't blocking well enough, but they didn't have anybody else that they could put in the game that they felt comfortable with. And I look at the second group now and the guys behind the starters who are pretty inexperienced themselves. I mean, not Caden Moore and, and Parker Clements. They've played some. But Chaplin's played, what, 21 snaps? Yeah, 27 mm-hmm. snaps. You know, Braylon Moore, limited by experience. It's 80, I thought it was like 81 or yeah. whatever it is. It's not a lot. Less than 100. <laughs> yeah, it's it's less than a month's worth of snaps that you would get. And those guys, those are guys you're going to rely on. They're going to be starters. Then you get even further, and those, those guys haven't even gotten on the field yet. So that is a spot I think they really need to shore it up, uh, figure out who their starters are, who are the guys that are comfortable going into the game and, uh, you know, be able to mix and match if you need to, because you're inevitably going to hit an injury. I think they were actually pretty healthy last year. Uh, you know, they, didn't, they, didn't, have, me about this they didn't have that throw, <laughs> didn't have that problem thrown on top of the other issues uh, that come along with an offensive line. But, you know, you have an injury, you have a guy that's not performing well, you got to have somebody else that can step up. And there's a lot of unknowns in that second group too. Let, well, let's stay on the offensive line. Um, for now, we're gonna with fall camp coming up and, and starting, and of course, you know, we'll, we will both be at the media stuff tomorrow. Um, are you gonna come to practice tomorrow? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah okay, so so we'll all be at practice tomorrow. Um, we're gonna go around the horn and and spend a couple minutes talking about each position, but we'll stay on offensive line for now. You mentioned Jesse Hansen medically retired. Brent Price said that last week, and then Jesse Hansen put out a statement. Um, he mentioned, probably mentioned a little bit about Clayton Frady. He played tackle, but he also played a little bit of guard um, at Gardner-Webb. He was an FCS All-American. Chris, you, you mentioned that he might slide in to that spot. W- would you kind of pencil him in as the starter at that spot right now, or do you, would you give the edge to Schick just because he's been here for a long time? I would give the edge, edge to Schick right now. Um, I think Frady is a, he's an interesting, he's like a tweener prospect to me. I think he's better suited run blocking as an offensive tackle because you're blocking defensive ends. I don't know if he's like strong enough and big enough to, to block defensive tackles who are bigger than defensive ends. On the other hand, I think he's probably a little better suited to pass blocking as an offensive guard than he would be out on the edge. Um, so he's kind of a tweener type. He can help you with both spots, um, but I, I don't think he's like one, he's like a, a 100% fit for, for either position. There are 10 be- between redshirt freshmen and freshmen. There are 10. That's how young that offensive line group is. And Jesse Hansen was the veteran of the group, and he, yeah. he is no longer. Andy, what young players are you keeping an eye on as we as we get started in fall camp? Maybe maybe true freshmen that are coming in. Obviously, Lath Gannum was kind of a highly recruited. I believe he was what top player in, in the state of West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are some of those uh, redshirt freshmen. Chaplin will pro- will probably be in the mix along with Braylon Moore. What guys are you kind of keeping an eye on? I think I never look at the true freshmen with offensive linemen because I just think it takes time to acclimate to this level, and it's very rare that you see a, a true freshman come in and, and just play. 
Uh, you know, I know Derisaw did it. He prepped at Fork Union exactly. for a year. Exactly uh, right. You know, Yash Nijman switching over, getting some action. He prepped at Fork Union. Like even those guys that play early on, sort of have an extra year between high school and college where they can j- just get stronger. And I know, you know, Ganim, uh, Lance Williams enrolled in the winter. I still don't quite look at them first. I'm looking at somebody like Johnny Garrett, Brody Meadows. Uh, I haven't heard a lot about Johnny Dixon. Uh, from that class that just redshirted here, you know, what, what, what are they going to be like? What's their preparation level? Uh, what kind of work did they do in the weight room? And they have the size now and the strength to be able to compete in the ACC. Uh, and sometimes you don't really see that until you get them out in the field and see if they have that edge to them. So that's that next group. I think they've, you know, the, the coaches have decided Chaplin, Braylon Moore, you know, step ahead probably there. Those guys are going to be starters for this team. Uh, you know, prize all but said that at this point. But it's those this next guys, and that, you know, feeds into those spots six, seven, and eight that I'm looking at on the offensive line that I think will be key. I, th- I think Brody Meadows would be the sixth man, maybe right, or seventh, sixth or seventh man right now, depending on how you view Frady. Um, but, uh, you know, I, after well, Schick, that, it's kind Schick of a, is probably that sixth guy if he's well, not starting because he's got guard tackle versus right, right. Um, so he's if he's not starting, right. Yeah, but if he's starting, then Frady's sixth maybe, and then Meadows yeah. would be so. It, it, so it, yeah, or, or, um, so it's a combination. Of, yeah, of, but he's so he's probably like the seventh. I think guy, the, I think the, those we just your four starters plus those three guys, or excuse me, your five starters plus. So let's just say Schick's one of your starters, and then you've got Frady. Frady. Then you've got Meadows, mm-hmm. that, so that's seven. So that that's your top seven right there. Is how I view it personally. Do you feel comfortable with that seven? Uh, no, <laughs> no. That's not. I mean, that's the biggest <laughs> question mark. I mean, you can talk about all the the toys that they got at receiver and running back and how much better, but it doesn't matter if your offensive line can't block. Right. It, I mean, that, that was that was you know Brent Pry's biggest issue with the offense last year. We just couldn't move people off the ball. Mm-hmm. That's basically a direct quote from him. And you know if you can't do that. You can't establish the run. Nobody fears the drop back. If, you know, if, if you don't have to respect the run like that, you can't do play action off of it. It just messes everything up in the offense if you don't have that offensive line that can move people off the line. Uh, Joe Rudolph is a very, very good coach. My understanding of him is also, he's also a little more technically demanding. Um, it's a little like getting to, to 100% for Joe Rudolph and what you can do on the field takes a little longer than most offensive line coaches. I, I think there's, things are going to be a little more simple under Crooks. So, in theory, what Tech is doing should be a little easier to pick up this year. I don't think it'll be as much of a, a transition as I think transferring to Rudolph was from the pre- previous regime. Um, I thought the starters looked better in the spring game than I thought they would, but again, that's the spring game, and how much could you re- can you really take out of the spring game? Let's move on. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna skip over tight ends. Nick Gallo, Daquan Wright, Benji Gosnell, Harrison St. Germain, and Zeke Wimbush are the five tight ends. The four of those guys. Wimbush is obviously new. The other four guys were here last year. We kind of know what to expect with that group. At wide receiver, so Tech brought in three transfers in Ali, Ali Jennings, Daquan Felton, and Jalen Lane. There's also Stephen Gosnell and Duan Lofton and Tucker Holloway and five new freshmen. That's a lot of guys fighting for a few spots. Is there anyone in particular you guys are going to have your eye on at the start of fall camp, Chris? Hmm. I'm going to be really interested to see where Lofton is because, you know, a lot was expected out of him last year. Uh, he, he had played as a true freshman the year before and shown some flashes, but uh, he did not have a productive season last year. 
He had a number of drops. I mean, everybody remembers the drop against Miami that, that would have gone for a touchdown and what turned out to be a, what, 20 to 14 final score. Um, so, you, and then you bring in all these transfers in the offseason and, and you know they're going to challenge him for a spot. So it's a big spring for him to go all the way, to go up against all these newcomers and then he misses most of the spring with an injury. So exactly where is he right now on the depth chart? Based on what I saw in the spring and then trying to compare that to what I saw from him last season, for me, he's the sixth guy right now at wide receiver. And that's not even including lining up Daquan Felton in, in the slot. Daquan Wright? Daquan, Daquan Wright, yes. Two Daquans. You Two, might get a so little bit spelled differently, correct? Yes, yes they correct. Are, they are uh, spelled differently, yeah. Um, so where is he on the depth chart for, for me? Because uh, – I didn't get a chance. You just didn't get a chance to see if he had progressed this spring because he wasn't on the field. He was he was hurt, and there's just a lot more competition there now. Uh, and I'm also interested in Chance Fitzgerald. I think if if the transfer portal did not exist and Virginia Tech had not been able to go out and sign those three players, then I think Chance Fitzgerald would be playing this year as a true freshman. Uh, I still think it's possible that he could. I think he's very physically advanced for his age and a little more, you know. I think he knows he's a good route runner for his age. I think he's pretty advanced for a guy his age. I just don't think he'll be needed this year. I'm curious, and uh, you know, I think Ali Jennings, the way that the coaches have set this up, and he goes to you know Charlotte for the ACC kickoff, I think they think they have a sure thing in that guy in the receiver room. I'm curious about Jalen Lane and Stephen Guznell. Because Lane, I, th- I think, really produced in Middle Tennessee, maybe flew a little bit under the radar as a transfer addition because of Jennings. Uh, because of Felton coming in, you just look at Felton's pure size. You go, wow, what, yeah. what could that guy do in the red zone? What's he going to be like? But but Lane really produced at Middle Tennessee and in the slot there. I'm curious what he's going to do here. And then Gaznell, I think physically it, the difference that he was in the spring versus what he was in the fall was striking. Yes, he looked great. slimmed down and just a lot more athletic. He had the concussion deal at UNC that really – you know, sidelined him right in the heart of the season last year. That's a tough thing to deal with. And he just looked like a different guy uh, in the spring. So I'm curious if he continues that into the fall. And if that's that's true, maybe he can be the guy that, you know, they thought when he transferred in. Because I, I think last year as a whole, and even he would say that was a little bit disappointing is a debut season here. So I think he could be a viable guy in this, uh, you know, receiving game uh, if he gets up to speed here. We've seen Jalen Lane take a short pass turn up and run by the Miami defense right. in the middle Tennessee uniform. We know he can go <laughs> To be out fair, there. every receiver for middle Tennessee did that. <laughs> that day that they game. did, absolutely. <laughs> but, it, so, but in theory, though, if he can do that at middle Tennessee to an ACC defense, there's no reason he can't do it yeah. at Virginia Tech, right? And we'll talk more. Um, I've got a special team question now at the end, and I'm sure we'll talk more about him and Tucker Holloway um, at special teams. At running back, Malachi Thomas is back. Keyshawn King obviously departed. Hokies brought in Bashaw Tootin from North Carolina A&T. Seems like it's going to be Thomas and Tootin. Those are the top two guys. But Tech also has two fresh faces in Jeremiah Coney and Traylon Mitchell. There are six guys in that room. Bryce Duke and Chance Black are the other two. What are you most interested to see from the running backs in, in preseason practice? Who, who's going to be third, I think? Um, I, I think we know who the top two are going to be at this point. Um, I, you know, I think, I think Tootin... I think the Tootin-Thomas combo will be solid. 
Um, it's been a while, really, since we've seen Malachi Thomas play football, but, but when he did play two years ago as a true freshman, he was very effective, back-to-back 100-yard games. Uh, showed good vision. He's tougher than he looks like he would be on, on the goal line. He really runs tough down there. Country strong. Country strong. He, he is country, he, too. He's from he's Georgia. Very thick accent yes, when he talks. Yes, he is. Um, so I, I think I think those two guys will be solid. I don't know if either one of them you know would be like a star or something like that, but but I do think that's a solid one-two punch. Like I'm, I'm I have no worries about one of those two guys. Now if somebody gets hurt, who's the third guy? Is it going to be Bryce Duke? Is it going to be Chance Black? Could it even be Jeremiah Coney? Um, I don't think there's any reason to play Coney as long as you have confidence in one of those other two guys to be the third back. Right now I would lean towards Bryce Duke. Um, I just think he, I think he's got a higher ceiling as, as a running back than Chance Black, who's still built more like a wide receiver or a defensive back. And the fact that Brent Pry's been trying to move him to cornerback kind of shows that <laughs> ever since he got here, basically. <laughs> ever since he got here, yeah. So, uh, but but like Black, but Black did play well in the spring. Game. Yeah. So did yeah, Bri- well. So Duke, did Bryce. Duke. So Bryce Duke. I just pulled up the spring game stats. Bryce Duke had ninety one. He had ninety yards in the spring game. Chance Black had sixty two in a touchdown. So. Those are your third and the the two guys that are fighting for third in reality. I saw Bryce Duke in the gym fairly recently. I'm not easy to impress with in the <laughs> gym, but like that he puts on a heck of a show with his workouts. And you're like, here you go, Bryce. Let me take a few weights off for you to do <laughs> yours. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> I'm curious in seeing uh, Tootin because we didn't see a whole lot of him in the spring. He didn't do much in the spring game. Just worked out. They didn't. What, one he didn't, carry? Yeah, he carries? didn't get a lot of carry. He caught like three cat passes or something like that, but he didn't really get any carries. And, you know, you've seen the tape of him at North Carolina A&T, and you see the production numbers. And there's a lot of production there. I just want to see him, you know, physically against an ACC defense and what he's like. I just haven't had a lot of opportunities to do it. That's not me doubting that he can do it. I just want to see him in that situation. So that's more of a... Uh, just let me let my eyes see him, you know, perform I, I, a little th- bit. I think like I know he's going to be a good player, but I, yeah, I, I still want so. I still right. want to see it first. Right. Yeah. yeah. He. I, so I just I just had the uh, the spring game stats up. Uh, he did. The, the the stats say that he did not have a carry. Yeah, it was something weird like that. He just had, didn't work he out. caught two passes for two yards, but it, he the maroon rushing was Duke Black, Pop Watson, Wells, and Whitkey. And then the white rushing was Prelude, Thomas, Coney, Farrell, Bullock, and Drones. Yeah. Tootin didn't have a carry. Yeah. And Thomas but had how many? Malachi Thomas had three rushes for 14 yards. I mean, the way they, they set that up, they yeah. barely yeah. gave any run to their top two guys. Well, I think yeah. they knew what they had. reason for that. But they right. don't want to get them hurt. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. the reason. I mean, yeah. there's, you know, don't have to think too deeply about that. If you yeah. have guys that you know and are going to produce. And you want to tr- yeah. get a good body of evidence built up on who your third back should be. Then yeah, and and for the spring game, that's exactly how you handle that situation. The position everybody wants to talk about, quarterback. Mm-hmm. We got Grant Wells, Kyron Drones. We saw them battle it out in the spring. Obviously, Drones is a transfer from Baylor. Pry mentioned in Charlotte that he's going to be open to using two quarterbacks, or potentially if there's one starter, maybe having a a package for the second guy. Where do you feel like the quarterback battle is right now? And do you, would you feel comfortable with a two-quarterback system? I can't say I remember a time in college football for any team where it's really been super successful. Chris Leak and Tim Tebow. Tyrod and Sean Glennon in 2007 was handled very well. Um, 
for you know Steinspring for whatever you think about him as a, as an offensive coordinator, he handled that situation that year very well. Um, and, but that was 2007, and then well, Nick and Tebow got, was what 2006. We've got two examples from the last 20 years, <laughs> right, and they're right. both like the same not, year. I'm sure there's another one, but you know there is an old there's an old saying that says if, if, if you've got two quarterbacks, you actually don't have any, right? So I don't want it to be that point, but I, I, at the same time, I could understand how it could start off like that. Um, I think there, there's two different, two different attributes, two different things, ways to look at it here. Like I think Wells is clearly ahead in the passing game. And I think drones gives them more in, in the rushing game. I don't think many people would disagree with that. Um, how much more does Wells give them in the passing game than, than drones? Drones is really raw in the passing game. I mean, you can look at it technically. I don't just mean like the long winding motion. I, I mean, sometimes it's his footwork and when it's combined with that long throw in motion. I mean, we saw the pass in the spring game when he threw the out pattern and the receiver was wide open and it landed 10 yards in front of him. And that was a situation where his footwork got mixed up and he combined it with that windy motion. He just couldn't get the ball there. It's not natural. It's, the issue is not natural arm strength. It's just he's not a technically consistent player at this point. And you never know when those issues pop up during games. And you can't really project when they're going to pop up or how often they're going to pop up. But you know he's going to give you something in the running game. He's a very good athlete. He's strong. He's a hard worker. I think he will improve as a quarterback. I think it was unfair to expect him to compete for the starting job in the spring. I mean, he didn't even know the plays. You know, you, you can't, it's basic, simple fact of football is you have to know the plays before you can actually move up the depth chart. Now he knows them, so he can start building, right? And he can help this team, sure. Um, I don't know how much he can help them throwing the ball early on, but you also can't get in a situation where every time it's third and two, here comes drones, and you know that it's it's a read. You mean option. like Quint, you mean like the Quincy Patterson? <laughs> right, right. Every is time he you put throw him in... here, probably not. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> I don't think he but is. No, no. The thing is, like, if they do want to create a package for him, I think the the, the first play they use him on, they should, should throw it. Yeah. No. No. The RPO stuff is based on quarterback reads, right? Um, but I do think they should come out there and like intentionally show one, just to show to, to show, show that he can throw the ball, that the, or that they're willing to use him to throw the ball. Um, you know, it could start out that way. And then, you know, in-game performances could change things between the end of the season, between the start of the season and the ends. Um, I, I will say this, like, if you end up changing the drones, do it as soon as possible. Or if you get to a certain point and it's Wells and it doesn't look like drones is making progress to catching him then just go with drone or then then just, just go, go with, with wells. just go with wells uh i'm tired of being unsettled with the quarterback every year like uh as we said last year we didn't want to have this conversation again uh about virginia tech's quarterbacks you you they signed wells and then he you knew he was going to start last year basically and then he had two years left so you're like sweet we have the possibility to have a three-year starter now and then you bring in another quarterback and then you bring in another portal. quarterback and the thing is like if drones ends up playing this year or even starting at some point this year he's got two years after that but what if he ends up starting or playing by default because neither one of them are very good do you do the same thing after this season you just bring in another transfer and you have the exact same competition next spring you would like to see some clarity by the by at some point this season and you know who the guy is going forward and that'll emerge if it's going to happen you can't force it I, I, right. i'm curious some of this two quarterback talk that pry has had in the preseason if it's just keeping everybody happy 
That's kind of what coaches have to do these days is keep everybody in the mix Mm -hmm. and be like, yeah, we're thinking about this. We're thinking about this. Because if you say this is our guy and (laughs) this guy who transferred in will not start, why would he stay? Right. Why wouldn't he just up and transfer uh, you know, that, that is the option now. That's the reality of college football. I know there's, there's transfer windows and stuff like that. So it's not like he could leave and go somewhere else right now before the season. But I think that's something that coaches have to manage in their head and how they speak about these quarterbacks. So uh, I'm curious to see what drones is like in eight months here after four months, when we saw yeah. him in the spring, you know, a lot of development can happen over the summer. Uh, we'll see what Wells is like with some actual weapons around him <laughs> on the offense. You know, some receivers that maybe could separate. That's going to help a quarterback along, make him look a little bit better than he did last year. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know with all the issues the offense had last year, do you want to introduce having to shuffle two quarterbacks as well? That just seems like a bad <laughs> idea to me. Uh, let the competition with, with an offensive line that right. Is not like settled. let the competition play out, and, and you know, to prize credit, he's like, I don't think it, it does anybody good to go like two series, two series, two series like that. Yeah. But if there's like a a package or a way that you can get the other guy in the field occasionally, I think you sprinkle that in. But I think it's got to be one guy uh, for the majority of the time if you're going to have any kind of semblance of continuity in offense. Yeah, and I I wrote this last week from Media Days. One of the the things I wrote is feels like no matter who the um, – and I feel, I feel like you've said this in a Q&A, whoever the quarterback is, the floor is higher simply because of the weapons around them. Uh, yeah. All right. So whoever it is is going to have more weapons than Wells had last year. All right. If it's Wells, then he's probably improved since last year and he's got more weapons. If it's Drones, then that means he's beaten out last year's starter and he's got more weapons than last year's starter had. So – I have you have a hard time seeing the situation not improving from last year, whoever the starter is, just because the situation is better. Uh, I made this note last year: the last Virginia Tech quarterback to start every game in back-to-back seasons, it would have been Michael Brewer, except he got hurt. It was Logan Thomas. So it's been quite some time since Virginia Tech has had. Who a, was a tank? Yes. I mean, he was <laughs> 6'6", 250, and they basically ran him in the line the all only the time, time and he still got through those seasons. He would come into interviews with, with a boot on yeah, yeah. every day. Like, he was banged up. It the was, only time he got hurt was when they went up high on him in the Sun Bowl, yeah. the yeah. last game that's of his career. Out. Yeah, that's right. Or was it the last game of his career? Yeah, it was. Yeah. I think it was it the last was. game of his career. Uh, somehow not targeting. Don't quite understand <laughs> that one, but, uh, you know, he was a, he was a pretty tough quarterback. Before we get to the defensive side of the ball, uh, it's a great time to remind you that this show is also brought to you by The Hokie Way. Visit thehokieway.org to learn more about their countdown to kickoff donation campaign. Thank you so much to The Hokie Way and First Bank and Trust Company for their sponsorship of the Tech Sideline Podcast. So let's finish our discussion with the defense. We'll start at defensive end and work our way towards the back. Virginia Tech brought in APR, Antoine Powell Ryland from Florida. With his addition, do you think there's enough in that room to get after the quarterback more this year and create disruption? I know he he really came on at the end of last season. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like He's played at Florida for two seasons, and if you look at his overall numbers, you wouldn't think he's going to have a big impact in the pass rush. But at the same time, if you look like at his last four or five games at the end of last year, he was getting after the quarterback a lot. He was like a different player. He dominated Florida State last year 
dominated him in that game. So here, here's another, here's a guy who did it against an ACC team in another uniform. So theoretically, we know he can do it. Now he's got to do it in a Virginia Tech uniform. Um, Garbutt, how many did he, sacks did he end up with last year? Six, six and, and a half. half. Six and a half. And some of those were like forced pressure by the defensive tackle, and then he's there and kind well, of falls on A number of those were but, against Boston College, right? Yeah. And then and, he was hurt. He was bad and, yeah. foot injury all year. It's, he had a good season, and he did have six and a half in, what, nine games because yeah. he, he was injured. So I, I think – but he he's he was as effective as he was because, like, he didn't – it's not like he had great size or he was a great athlete. He just played really hard and was very, very experienced. Motor. Yeah, exactly. Um, you, you know, Antoine Powell Ryland is – he's a step up athletically, I, I think. Uh, I think he will be able to get pressure. Um, my bigger concern with him is, you know, how he'll hold up against the run because he's not the world's biggest guy. Um, but I, I still think, you know, we're going to see blitzing from Virginia Tech this year. And I think these days pass rushing has to be a group effort. You just don't see many sacks these days with as mobile as quarterbacks are and as quick as they get rid of the ball. You rarely see one of those like Corey Moore sacks when he comes off the edge and he's the one guy getting pressure and then he just, just sacks him. It's normally like three guys getting pressure, the mobile quarterback gets away from the first guy and then the second guy gets him and maybe shares the sack with somebody else. So if you want better better sack numbers this year, I mean, Powell Island will certainly help, can certainly help, but it's got to be a group effort. Everybody's got to be better there. Yeah, I, I think that's still my biggest question mark on this defense is how they get to the quarterback. And I know they have those three solid defensive tackles on the inside. They're not... The most dynamic tackles, not like a Ricky Walker or a Tim Settle, that kind, where they're going to put up these huge tackle for loss numbers. You know, they'll have some, but I don't think it's going to be just a, a tremendous total like that. And you know, the defensive ends, I think, are the biggest question on this defense with you know Cole Nelson, C.J. McCray, moving up into larger roles, get a little bit of a taste of it last year, and then you know who knows beyond those guys. You know, one of the McDonald brothers there, Keyshawn Burgos. Uh, I don't think there's necessarily a ton of help coming in from the freshman class of guys that could just step, step in and play in, right yeah. away. So, I, you know, I think they had 23 sacks last year, and that was down from, let's say, 35 or something like that a couple of years think, ago. Yeah. And, you know, it's a significant drop. They're gonna. It's not just going to be the, the ends. I think it's going to have to be, you know, Kelly Lawson and blitz packages or Jaden Keller coming in off the edge like that. But they need some production from the ends because, you know, you know, base defense, that's how you get to the quarterback a lot. You could even see like a special pass for us package on third and 12. Uh, you got former defensive end, Feldarius Payne, maybe sliding into defensive tackle where he's a pass rushing threat as a defensive tackle. And maybe Kelly Lawson coming off the edge is more of a defensive end role and you don't have to worry about the pass. They might have to get creative, but you know, whether you're talking about sacks or whatever, I think Tech's defense was pretty solid last year. They just didn't create much havoc. They only forced nine turnovers. Not a lot of turnovers. Uh, and those know, are weird. But, I mean, a lot of that stems from you get pressure on the quarterback. Correct. He makes and, and bad forcing mistakes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they finished 129th out of 131 teams in turnovers forced last year. Mm. People talk about Virginia Tech turning the ball over and Grant Wells interceptions and things like that. Tech finished 32nd in the country in turnovers lost last year which is pretty good, especially considering they had five of them in the first game. Yeah. Turnovers, it's tough to change that perception after the first game. Right, right, exactly. But the numbers, it was not an issue for Virginia Tech. The issue was the offense was so bad that when you do have, like, one turnover, you can't overcome it, right? Right. 
So, uh, so like a, you know, there, there were there was a or big... like twelve false start penalties. In the Correct, game. exactly, <laughs> exactly. That might equal at least one turnover when we you know, that, that could count that. <laughs> um, so yeah, you just got whether they're sacks or, or whatever, or whether they're sacks or just getting more hurries and forcing more bad throws. You the defense needs to create more havoc this year. And you briefly highlighted the tackles: Mario Kendricks, Norrell Pollard are back, as is Josh Fuga. You spoke with him at AC Media Days, wrote a great feature on him. He's carrying the lunch pail now. Do you like how the Hokies are set up at that spot, and how comfortable do you feel about the depth behind them? Yeah, I think it's a solid group. we got some old heads. That's how Pry always <laughs> describes it. got some old heads on the inside there. Uh, yeah, I think they're solid. I don't think there's any like all-ACC caliber guy there. And, you know, Tech had a run of those guys for a while that were just like Woody Barron, Tim Settle, Ricky Walker, like that. Uh, but I think they're pretty solid on the interior, and, you know, that's what you want, especially run-stuffing types. I think they could be pretty good there. Uh, it will be interesting to see the depth because you could lose all three of them after this year, depending on uh, what Fuga wants to do uh, with his COVID year. And then, you know, is that next wave ready? You know, Panay, um uh, Lamar Law, Malachi Madison, Gunnar Gibbons. Is he ready to, to show something at defensive tackle? Uh, I think there are a lot of questions in that second group. But if you've got three in a rotation at the top and Panay is that fourth guy and you're really only kind of searching for that fifth guy right now because typically only around five of them ever play that much on yeah. the interior, I, I think you feel pretty solid about that group. Yeah, I'm good with that group. Uh, unless they have like more than two injuries. You know, or somebody's something. always injured there. That yeah. is a position well, that is like, just getting hit like, from the side. Like missing just, games, you know, uh, type of injuries. Uh, but I, I look at that position, and outside of cornerback, I would say I feel more comfortable with 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 that position. Like like that position might not jump up and like win you a game, but they're not going to lose you any games yeah. either. And Bud Foster, I was used to have that saying. He, he'll play for us. <laughs> Whenever yeah. we talked about a position where it's like not a superstar, but mm-hmm. like. He'll play for us. Like Anthony Chagag, he'll play for us. us. Like when he's on the field, he will do what he's supposed to do, (laughs) and he'll be a a decent player within this defense. Uh, Will not be a liability. I don't think any of those guys will be liabilities on the interior. A big question comes at linebacker. At Sam, it seems like Keonta Jenkins is the guy. Star. Star, Yes, my apologies. Star, formerly Sam, formerly Whip. Yeah. Keonta Jenkins is the guy. Kelly Lawson is likely going to be the guy at will. The question is at Mike. Mm. Jaden Keller performed well there in the spring. There's also Alan Tisdale and Stone Snyder and Jaden McDonald. <laughs> do you think Chris Marv might rotate at that spot? How, how do you think yeah. that might play out? I think there will be some sort of a rotation, but I don't think you want to rotate more than two linebackers at one linebacker position. You take two of those guys and play them. Um I ultimately, I just don't view Tisdale as a Mike. Um, he just, he, you know, I think he would do fine there in coverage, but he doesn't seem to be like the run stopper type that, that you want there. Uh, I think Stone Snyder will be one of the two. Uh, I, I, I don't know how he would hold up in coverage and things like that, but uh, I, I think he I think he would come in and, and, and give Virginia Tech a solid veteran presence. Um, the question to me is, if the you know if there's a two man rotation there is is who's the other guy is it going to be McDonald is it going to be Keller the, the, the it's it would be one of those two guys I think I think at the beginning of the spring it would have been McDonald but then he got a little banged up and they played Keller for the rest of the spring and you know he he did okay but every every time somebody says 
something positive about Jaden Keller, he gets on the football field and you <laughs> see that they that he's still got a ways to go, right? You're you're talking about both of those guys were basically safeties in high school. Um, and moving to an inside line. It'd be one thing if like they moved to an outside linebacker position or something like that, but it's just so different when you're inside the, the tackles and, and your key reads and things like that. Everything's moving fast, and it can take a while to, to make that adjustment. So my, my view on that is I think it's going to be Snyder and then one of those younger guys in a two-man rotation, but you don't want to rotate anymore, guys, in that. Yeah. How, how can anybody really th- – linebackers a – feel for a game and a rhythm type position. Like even at, even at Tech's peak, like Foster didn't rotate his linebackers. He never rotated much. anybody. Yeah. It was just like Rayshard Ashby every snap of the game. Yeah, yeah. Tremaine Edmonds. I mean, you would never take Tremaine off the field anyway because he, he was that good. But right. I think it's interesting. You, you look at, uh, you know, Snyder experience. Keller probably a little bit more athleticism at that spot. Uh, Tisdale experience. Uh, Kelly Lawson probably a little bit more athleticism, mm-hmm. athleticism at that will spot uh, just because Kelly Lawson is probably more athletic than 98% of the team. Yep. I mean, he's 6'6 he's <laughs> six, six and all limbs and just like, I mean, it just he's in passing lanes and all sorts of stuff like that. So I think there's actually some good combinations there. And yeah. I don't know how, you know, uh, Jaden McDonald, I think he's the one that yes, plays. Jaden McDonald. Jaden McDonald plays linebacker. I don't know how the, he would fit in there, you know, what they're exactly they're looking at as a backup star. But I feel like there will be packages down in distance situations where they'll be rotating guys in and, it's like, okay, well, Snyder's in there for the first two downs, and then it's, you know, third and long, and all of a sudden you got, uh, you know, Kelly Lawson and Tisdale yeah, in yeah. more of a pass-rushing situation, or Keller and and, and uh, Lawson because they have been mentioned as pass-rushing type guys. So I, I think you're, you're not going to see somebody like Dax who played, I think, 660 snaps last year or something like that. I'd be surprised if there was a linebacker in the interior this year that played that many snaps. I agree with that. Um, you, you know, you're going to need – you know, two guys at each position. And at some point, I, like, I think the initial depth chart will be Snyder and one of those other two guys. But obviously, Kelly Lawson's going to start at the wheel spot. But who's going to be the second guy at the wheel spot? I think I think Tisdale will actually be there. And I, I think, like, probably does like to rotate linebackers. Like, even at Penn State, like, he would, he would have a rotation at the various positions. Uh I guess he takes plenty after blood from, but you know, not rotating linebackers is, 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 is a little bit different. So than right now, would you have it, uh, at Mike say Keller Snyder and then something like and that. then Lawson Tisdale. Uh, that's uh, yeah. And then I guess McDonald is just the third at one of those two spots. I've never seen Snyder play in person, so I'm not going yeah, so to say. Much. So let's no, see how something to, see how yeah, to, to the, well, FBS well, the, level. the fact of the matter is like, even in practice, like you can't rep four or five guys at yeah. one position anyway, right? The most you can do is, is three, and uh, you know, and then, and then you've got. I, I I think we I think we're pretty tech is pretty much well set at the star p- position, but uh, I think a lot has to get settled there. And what we have to remember about these guys is they're young players. A large number of them were actually safety types in high school rather than linebackers, and. I, I, this is one of the few philosophies that, that I don't necessarily know that I agree with with this defensive staff is they just move these guys around from position to position because they, they want them to have a secondary position, a cross-train position. But, like, when you've got two guys that were high school safeties and they're redshirt freshmen and you're try- – like, last last year at various points between the spring and the fall, Jaden McDonald played all three linebacker positions. 
He had never played linebacker before. And I think part of that was just trying to find where he fit. Pro- yeah, probably some of that didn't is. Know. Right, right, right. Um, but like at some point you have to stop that, right? And you have to figure out where a guy's going to play. Where, a fu- where his future C- is. Correct. So like you want to, so let's say, let's say that Snyder and McDonald are your top two mics this year. Are they going to leave Jaden Keller is their number three Mike, or are they going to flip-flop him back from between Will and, and Mike like like they have in the past? Like I think at some point you have to leave these guys at one position and let them learn it, and that's that's how you that's, that's when they'll really start to make progress, I think. Well, one position I think everybody feels pretty comfortable with is cornerback. Yep. Virginia Tech brings back Dorian Strong and Monsoor Delane, and the Hokies brought in Derek Canteen from... Georgia Southern, that's along with a number of freshmen that are coming in. Is there any reason for skepticism at cornerback? No, no, it's like two dudes get hurt. Yeah, if yeah, I think injuries there, and all of a sudden you're going, who's the number four cornerback in the room? And could it be a freshman again stepping up like yeah. that? You don't want it to get to that point. Um, I'm curious to see Dorian Strong, how he does this year. I think... Now, Pry had really high hopes for him last year, and he breaks his hand, you know, four games into the season, doesn't really have a chance to do all that much. Uh, I know Mansoor had a, a great end of the season. They're very excited about Canteen, but Dorian was the one that he kept coming back to in the summer of 2022, just talking about, I think he's got all ACC potential. So I'd, I'd like to see if he can live up to that sort of billing. At safety, Nasir Peoples and Jalen Stroman are going to be the two starters. After Outside of them, not a whole lot of experience. Pry potentially mentioned down in Charlotte using Monsoor Delane or Derek Canteen there if something, right now, if something were to happen to one mm-hmm. of the starters because there isn't much experience. Do you think that's how it'll shake out in the fall? Or do you think the staff will grow comfortable with some of the young or inexperienced players over the next four weeks before September 2nd, like most Phillips and Jalen Jones? You know, you, you like those two starters, but yeah, that, that's that's a big question mark. Let's say one. Let's say Nasir Peoples gets hurt in the first game of the season. Uh, do you just go with whoever's been his backup in practice, or do you try to get your best four defensive backs on the field? Um, I would think you would probably start either Mansoor Delane or or Derek Canteen there. That's what I personally would do, unless one of those other those other two guys just has a really really good preseason. Um, but I, I think the situation is if you if you've got a corner who can play that position more effectively than one of the backups, which I, I was very impressed with Delane last year, not just with his uh, w- with his coverage ability, but with his tackling. He's just a very good tackler, understood lanes and everything like that. He's the guy I would move, and then I would then I would start Canteen at the at the outside corner spot. But uh, I love the potential of Mose Phillips, but I'm probably not quite ready to resume, assume a starting role at this point. I think it might depend on. If something happens, how long term would it be? Yeah. You're talking for a couple series, then you just play the guy that's been practicing yeah. there. If you're talking about half a season, then then you start thinking about wholesale changes and how can you get the best guys out there and uh, best guys on the field. So uh, as always, that's situation dependent. But it's something that, you know. Prize mentioned a couple times. Monsoor probably given some flexibility between the two positions. Canteen as well. Uh, I I think they like the two starting safeties though and they prefer neither of them get hurt or have <laughs> yeah. to come out of the game yeah because uh, it does get very young and inexperienced after them special teams uh we can wrap and we can wrap this big this uh thing up 
Um, Andy, you reported yesterday that Will Ross is no longer with the program. He was Tech's kicker for the majority of the season last year, and then John Love came in. Any specific thoughts from either of you guys on special teams from Tucker and Holloway and Jalen Lane, a punt returner to Peter Moore and John Love? Anything you guys are interested to see over the next couple weeks? I think everybody on special teams, they always look at the kicker. They always look at the punter. uh, They look at the long snapper if it's a bad snap, and then they look at the return men. But they don't think about, you know, the 10 blockers on special teams or, or, or things like that. Virginia Tech lacked quality depth on offense and defense last year, of course. Since you play backups on special teams most of the time, that means clearly your special teams are not going to be good. You're not going to be able to block well. Um, now, Tech had punt return issues last year, and that's partially because, you know, until they put Holloway back there, they didn't have anybody who could actually field a punt properly. But there also wasn't a lot of room because none of those guys on the punt team were actually being blocked by Tech's blockers on the punt return. There weren't enough quality players on the team at that point. Either they were too young or, you know, they just lacked talent. Uh, Virginia Tech, and I'm not saying, you know, this is exactly where the Hokies want to be from a talent standpoint, but they have more talent and they have more experience than they had it a year ago. So that should, and we talk about how that impacts offense and defense, it should trickle down to special teams as, as well. You should see Overall, more solid, consistent special teams play across the board. Yeah, Will Ross, by the way, selling uh, foreign cars in Charlotte. His dad was DMing with me. He says he has like a passion for foreign cars. So he's selling like Bentleys and Aston Martins in Charlotte. So anybody in the Charlotte area, uh, if you need a foreign car, Will Ross is your guy to go see. (laughs) Uh, I'm curious to see if Peter Moore can regain his freshman form. I think it's a little disappointing the way things went last year, certainly second half of the season where just the whole operation looked off. It wasn't just a punter. It was uh, long snapping and, and getting the kicks down the field. and Out of whack. It, I, I mean, it started, yeah, out of, it's just it's out of whack. And to use Beamer phraseology there, I feel like it's like started around Pittsburgh and just like something just looked off for the rest of the season. But, you know, you saw a couple of years ago, he's a pretty talented guy. He's got a big leg at that punter spot and, Let's face it, it's a weapon, especially if your offense isn't very good. You're going to need that. You're going to play some field position. You know, Virginia Tech won a lot of games for a long time playing field position, defense, and enough on offense, and, and that might be a formula to be successful this year. So I'm, I'm curious if, if Peter Moore can get back to that form. I think the, the big thing there is, like, he had never done any rugby-style punting before. And it's probably a big change. It's a big change. I've never kicked Every, this way before, and, and now and I have everything. to kick this way. So, so like, going back to, like, not having quality – personnel not having quality depth so when you can't block very well and you feel like you need to switch to a rugby style uh punts and your punter's never done it before maybe even your long snappers never snapped this is why before. you recruited australian for that punter right spot. right that's rugby that's, style James, that's, that's James, the James, style Shebus, that's Shebus was ahead of the game man <laughs> uh but uh I, I think it threw everything off but you know with better personnel better blocking maybe they won't have to rugby style punt this year but even if they do He'll have more experience at it, and he spent the offseason, I'm sure, working on it. But it's going to be very important. You know, if you can steal a few yards every game from that, um, I, I think it, it could be the difference in a, in a game or two. Uh, I think if you look at Virginia Tech's schedule, they face something like six or seven, six teams maybe that finished outside the top 100 in FEI offensive efficiency last year. And I know – 
like Tech, all those teams expect to be better this year. But you don't anticipate a lot of shootouts in Virginia Tech football games this year, which means it's going to be a number of one-score games that are going to come down to things like uh, field position on special teams, turnover margin, and whether you kick a field goal or score a touchdown in the red zone. Right, just those little things like that, so. or just get three points. Yeah, we're, you know, that was kind of a struggle right. in the second half of the season Jim last year. With those. I don't think they made a field goal longer than twenty-three yards in the yeah. last six games or something like that. No, of course, the main issue there is uh, they only made it into the red zone twenty-eight. Well, times yeah, that's the year, other so. side. Of it. But, <laughs> you, but if you're you're yeah. missing from forty, it's like all of a sudden yeah. that changes your mind about where you have to start going for it on Correct. fourth down when you're down there. And if you get some guaranteed points, especially in low-scoring games, that matters. Let's transition to some recruiting talk real quick, and then we'll get to some message board questions. Um, Virginia Tech picked up two commits since we did our last podcast. Um, On Saturday, July 29th, Webb Davidson committed to the Hokies. He's a 6'7", 290-pound, three-star offensive lineman in the class of 2024 from Macon, Georgia. He's the third offensive lineman in the class, joining Tommy Ricard and your favorite recruit, Aiden Lynch. Yep. he held offers from Michigan State, Arkansas, Mississippi State, and Georgia Tech. Those were some of his Power Five offers, among others. Chris, immediate impression. Uh, he strikes me as a guy that has some versatility between guard and tackle. He's a really big guy. He's he's grown. He's jumped up from six four to was it six six or six seven? But anyway, he's he's grown a decent amount recently. Uh, so, and until then, I probably viewed him as more of a guard prospect. But now with his height and and. I might view him as a tackle prospect, but does he still play like a guard? Sometimes it takes a while for your game to catch up to your height and your build. But at any rate, he's got the prerequisite size and length and everything like that. The biggest question for offensive line recruiting right now is whether they take a fourth offensive lineman in this class because I think they signed four last year and they signed six the year before that. They don't lose any offensive linemen off this team on paper. Now there will be transfers, of course, there always is. But there's not any senior offensive linemen on this team. Every single offensive lineman on the team right now is eligible to return next year. So do you take a fourth offensive lineman in this class? The Hokies have 17 commits in the 2024 class now. Andy, what is your overall just impression of the way the 2024 class is shaping up? It seems to be going well. <laughs> we always talk about recruiting classes, and it's like, on paper, everything looks fine, and then you look at it four or five years from now, and it's like, well, a third of them panned out, a third of them didn't. And then Why did them, we take Christian you know, like Half of them transferred. Nobody wanted right. him. <laughs> Dorian Strong, who is, who's offering this kid? Delaware State fans hate Virginia Tech. Yeah, exactly. Dorian Strong and, and the upper Marlboro, Marlboro, that, that was their other The zoo upper Marlboro, <laughs> Maryland area, wherever, wherever they're all from. Uh, I tend not to try to judge all these recruiting classes in the moment because who knows, you know, we're still, what is it? Four months away from four and a half months away from signing day. Some stuff could change on that front. We'll see once they get here. And uh, I know one, like one year where you don't hear about them, all of a sudden fans are ready to move on to the next top prospect. It's like, well, you got to give them some time to (laughs) develop once they're here. So it seems like they're doing well in terms of getting some of the more top guys in the state. Uh, you know, that hasn't gone well lately. And I think that was a good first step for Brent Pry and his, his coaches because you got to win back the state. They're starting to do that. I think the big thing is that Virginia Tech, no, no matter how many more, I mean, Tech is obviously going to t- probably try to take more guys in this class. The big thing is that Tech will be way over the scholarship limit next year. Something's mm. going to have to happen there. Sure. 
Um, you're going to see more and more attrition these days across college football. It wasn't just a Justin Fuente thing. It was it's it's a it's a trend in college football now, and it's especially a trend early in a head coach's tenure when he's maybe you know signing slightly bigger classes and 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 getting the roster more w- with where he wants it, but also with the advent of the transfer portal. In the past, where you know you're throwing that redshirt freshman on the field, now you're like, well, this guy's in the portal. I can go get him. He's ahead of this redshirt freshman receiver. So you sign the portal guy, and then the redshirt freshman's like, I'm not going to play. I'm done. I'm transferring, right? Um, so that the transfer portal itself leads to more attrition. Um, that's just part of the game these days. Somehow the industry has to come to a point where they can start – they can do a better job of like – like what's the point of looking at recruiting rankings – and, and looking at them over the course of five years and saying, well, this team, you know, they signed a top 25 class four straight years, so they should be, they should have been this good. And then you're just ignoring the transfer portal. Or conversely, like, if you don't, if you don't recruit well on paper and you sign like the 60th best cl- class every year, but then you do really well in the portal, they're like, how did that, how did they do so well, you know, without recruiting well? So, but so right now, like the, they, they do give transfers like star rankings and stuff, but I don't think a lot of people pay attention necessarily to that. And they don't do a good job of incorporating them together to say, okay, this is how much a team improved its talent level in, in the off season and things like that. So that's why you shouldn't pay too much attention to, to recruiting rankings and things like that. but uh, Your recruiting ranking is your record. Right. I agree with that. And everybody's just like, oh, Pitt doesn't recruit like anybody at the top of the ACC. It's like, okay, well, they have an ACC championship in the last five <laughs> it, years. It's yeah. more, th- more than it, most you know, of the conference can say. It, it's interesting. And you see Pitt down or Pitt down there in Charlotte. And I know everybody hates Narduzzi because he acts kind of nuts on the sideline. That's why I, I love Narduzzi. Exactly. What are you talking he's, about? The, he's the villain. Every, every, everybody needs a villain, right? <laughs> and it, it's, uh, I mean, you mean but, all Virginia Tech fans need a villain. Correct, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, but at any rate, you, know, you see those Pitt guys down there in Charlotte. And every time they come to the dinner, like when, when you're all done and then you, you go to dinner and eat at night, they all show up together and they're all in line together. The coaches right or the player, the players right behind Narduzzi. So like I, I think Narduzzi understands, you under, understands toughness. I know because his teams always play tough, but I don't think he, I don't think he also understands how important it is to un- instill a team mentality, and that doesn't show up in recruiting rankings, but it shows up in your final record. Tech also picked up a 2025 commitment from three-star quarterback Keldon Ryan. He's a 6'1", 195-pound prospect from Fort Worth, Texas. And he had offers from Arkansas, Baylor, Cal, Colorado, Duke, Houston, Miami, Missouri, Oklahoma Stupid State, Brad Cornelson State, Pitt, still recruiting these Texas Andy quarterbacks. Andy is Texas to VT back. I can't. 2025 is so so <laughs> far, so far yeah. away. Like wake me up in a year when like I just I can't even fathom 2025 recruiting right now, and I'm sure they have to do it that far in advance. But what are the odds that he signs with Virginia Tech at this point? Like you get that far out in advance and it's, it drops. It's not like this is a commitment coming a couple months before signing day. So I, I don't even devote too much brain power to the whole thing looking at it because it's like that is a long ways off still. But sure, they got a quarterback right away. And I'm, you know, I'm sure he's, he's going to recruit other guys to come to the class. You always see the same stories every year about, yeah, I'm going to talk to this guy, get this guy here. It's like, we'll see. We'll see how it works. I had a, a, a coach text me, and this is a, Hall of Fame Virginia High School coach. 
won state titles. Looked at looked at his film and said that dude is legit, and he's right. Like his film is really really good, very very impressive. He's a good athlete, and he's got this natural flick, and the ball comes out of his hand really fast. He's got a good arm. I think all the natural talent is there. He has not put it together on the field at this point. Um, he has more interceptions and touchdowns in his career. Like last, as a sophomore last year, he only threw five touchdowns and threw like six or seven picks. It's it's not that he does he throws a ton of picks per se. It's just he doesn't throw any touchdown passes. It's it's like the the high school equivalent of Grant Wells, um, who who had nine touchdowns and nine picks last year. It's not a lot of picks. It's just a very few amount of touchdown passes. That being said. <laughs> he plays for a bad team or has played for a bad team who was one and nine when he played played he's going to transfer this year and he will play on what I probably will be a more talented team with better players around him and I expect his numbers will improve just like Grant Wells had better numbers at Marshall when he had quite frankly had better players around him um, sometimes it's about your surrounding and your situation I think he's got a lot of developing to do uh, but in the right situation he will develop and I think he'll be a better He'll, he'll be in a better situation this year. Now, you're not going to see the big boys come in and offer a quarterback who has more interceptions than touchdowns through his first two years. He's inexperienced, he's raw, and hasn't been very productive yet. But if the production on the field matches the talent this year as a junior, then I know he loves Tech. And I, I don't, I'm not sitting here saying he's going to decommit from Tech at some point because the vast majority of commitments do stick. But but I will say that somebody else is going to try to get involved in his recruitment at some point if he makes the progress that, that I think he's capable of making. And look at his development. It's almost like high school sophomores can get better. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, their yeah. career. I mean, this is yeah. so early in a guy's yeah. career that it, you're just going so much on what he could become, and that's really tough to project for a guy that young. Let's get to a couple of message board questions before we close. Chris, this is specifically for you. From Hokie Devil... Uh, you mentioned in your story that the early signing day needs to be moved. I know that was yeah. a little bit of a tangent. This subscriber would like to know when you think it should be moved to or if you believe it should just be eliminated altogether. Yeah, it shouldn't exist. I think I think it, the, the, it's a, it was a good thought and the idea w- was right. You know, you, you had so many of these guys decommitting in the run-up to signing day in February, and the, the general consensus was, Man, the, these schools keep recruiting guys, and they flip them. We should, it'd be more fair if you just let them sign when the when they commit and, or sign early and things like that. But w- the thinking, but behind that was let them sign in like July or August, like before the season, not in December. I mean, that's too, that's way too close. I mean, it, it's like it's only like six weeks between the first signing day and the second signing day. There's no point. Um, there's no point unless you do it. The, the early signing day is actually early. Um, but, but, and plus where it is right now, th- this kind of shows how important schools in the NCAA have used bowl games. So, like, if Virginia Tech is in the Gasparilla Bowl this year, it's on December 22nd. Guess when signing day is? <laughs> December 22nd. So that big production Tech put on on signing day this past year that impressed everybody, they wouldn't be able to do this year because they're actually going to be playing a football game that day. I mean, and everybody in the run-up to signing day, you're trying to flip kids. You're trying to protect you know, your own class from flips. And you're also trying to prepare for a bowl game 
right? Uh, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And I don't, I don't, unless, unless you put it out way early, I don't see the added benefit. All I think it does is take away from bowl preparation and, and bowl games are bad enough as it is these days with players opting outs, either get rid of those early bowls completely, which I would do personally, or, or, or ditch that signing day. But like, I also wouldn't have it any earlier than December personally, because Look, you have that thing in in well, you don't want to have it in August because that's preseason practice. You, there's no time. Um, I mean, you don't have it at any point during the season. You'd have to have it in July. So much happens between July and December. Coaches get fired. They move on. You're gonna have so many of those guys requesting out of their letters of intent because their coach had recruited them left or got fired or whatever. It's just. I don't see any point in doing one earlier than February. There's not a good time for it, and I and I don't think I don't think it's in players' best interest to sign necessarily before before their co- they know if their coaches are staying or going and, and things like that. So it was a good thought. I just don't think in the end it's proven to be practical. Yeah, here's an idea: do it the first week of February. Yeah, <laughs> like you're not doing it. Like right now, it's during the height of like coaches changing teams. And, you know, everything, the whole mess going on with that. And, like, sometimes guys are trying to commit to a school, like, two days after the coach is hired. It's like, what, what is the point of that? Why do, why do you jam all this stuff into early December? Like, just do it in February again. Yeah. Like, coaches complain about having to recruit guys that, like, I think you'd rather do that when you sort of have a, a sense of, you know, what your coaching staff is going to look like and, you know, see who's left for the NFL and how many more spots you can actually evaluate for a full year of senior film without being in the heat of a season yourself. You're not going to do it August 1st. Coaches don't want to give up their vacation in July. You're you're not going to Greece or wherever coaches are going. (laughs) If, you know, at the end, you know, August 1st, you got to sign a class. So it just... I don't know why they're accelerating everything so much. You don't yeah. need to accelerate the process so much. These guys are getting offered young enough. They're making decisions and flipping a bunch of times because they have time to uh, before the stuff. Just just do it when they used to do it, and I, I think you'll see less problems. Agreed. From back in the Berg, what noticeable differences will we as fans see with Marv taking over full-time defensive play calling in terms of scheme, aggressiveness, in play and overall game management. Do you feel like there's going to be much of a difference or do you feel like because of, because he's a pride disciple, so to speak, he played for pride for a year at Vanderbilt. Do you feel like it's going to be very similar to pride? I think it's similar. I don't don't think there's going to be much difference at all. I mean, that that was the reason that pride had the reins last year. So he could show him how he wanted it done. I'm sure there's going to be intricacies or tendencies that, that Marv will have in certain play calling situations. But you know, I think the bigger benefit is that it frees up pride to be the head coach. And that's, that's the change that needed to happen. Uh, I think less so than schematically what they're going to be like. I think that'll be the difference because Marv did all the play game planning last year. Yeah. You know, pride would come in and he would call the plays, but I mean, Marv was in there every day dealing with those guys and setting up the game plan. So I don't think it's going to be too different. You might see a slight tendency to blitz more under Pry. He's known as a guy who blitzes a little more, but like, you're not going to be able to watch like when tech lines up the first play on defense against old dominion, you're not going to sit there and say, Whoa, the man, that defense looks a lot different. No, it's going to be the exact same defense. There's going to be tweaks from year to year based on personnel available to them and things like that. But I just, I don't think it's going to be noticeable. Yeah. The last, last message board question from VT90. Aside from offensive tackle, which would seem to be the most obvious answer, what position can Virginia Tech least afford to have injuries? 
I remember Chris Coleman always seems to address that question every year, and I'm curious as to what the thoughts are this season. They've got you go with a number of different answers there. They've got bodies at certain positions, but you don't know how good those bodies are yet, right? Um, I think. I mean, you could go anywhere on the offensive line. He said offensive tackle. I'll go center. Center, yeah. Yeah. I don't know who else can actually – I mean, Holyfield has played center in the past, but, you know, they're not they're not that confident in him. If, if, they, if, they, if they were confident in him, they would have left Caden Moore at guard, where, where they also don't have a lot of cover, right? So – Just the entire I, offensive line. Yeah, yeah, you could say it. But specifically, if Caden Moore gets hurt, I don't think they – to me, they didn't. They don't have much confidence in in uh, in Holyfield right now at this point, unless he comes on and has a big camp. So if K- something happened to Kalen Moore, I actually don't know who the number two center would be. I think technically it's Holyfield, but if something happened to Moore, I think they would be scrambling and trying to see if they could come up with a different solution. Yeah, I think we talked about a little bit earlier the safety spots, the real questions on that second team, and you have to shift things around in the secondary to make that work. Uh, Maybe that star spot, Keontae Jenkins. I don't, I don't know who the backup is right now. Is it going to be Caleb Woodson coming in and, and getting a look there? Could I mean, be. that's getting really young at that position. Yeah. I, I wonder if they would slide Lawson outside I to play that spot. I think they would move Lawson and then start Tisdale. I think they probably. would, but I think that takes away from you know Lawson's effectiveness where they liked him at that will spot. So those are a couple of defensive spots that I would think would be questions. Before we go... Usually the host would ask what's coming up on techsideline.com. I'm the managing editor. <laughs> you uh, ought to know, buddy. I'll, so I'll just lay out the next couple of weeks. So we have, uh, well, all three of us, along with our photographers, should be. We'll be at a Virginia Tech's practice tomorrow afternoon. Uh, Andy will have a story from that. Chris, in theory, Virginia Tech's going to have heights and weights updated. I checked right before we started the podcast. They haven't updated them yet. At some point over the next couple of weeks, Virginia Tech should have so heights and weights At this updated. point, it probably won't be tomorrow because it generally, like, I have to record the data, look at it, think about it, compare yeah. it, and then write it. And normally, normally they re- release updated heights and weights before the first practice. But, of course, I know they're practicing, like, literally right now, and they haven't updated. They don't want to let their opponents know what the heights and weights <laughs> I know, are. Gosh, I mean, it's, it's such a big, big deal. If these heights and weights were to fall into the wrong hands, what could be done against <laughs> Virginia Tech, the game plan? I mean, it's such them? a big deal whether Mansour Delane is 183 pounds or 186 pounds. Yeah. So... Andy will have something from practice tomorrow. Eventually, Chris will have an updated story on heights and weights. Um, Jason Stame interviewed Keldon Ryan, the 2025 commit. That story will come tomorrow. You'll have a Friday Q&A, as always. Yeah, and I'm writing a Brandon Patterson article tomorrow. Although, there's so much stacked up for tomorrow. Maybe I'll push one of those things. Anyway, whatever. (laughs) Um, And then next week, we're going to start position previews. We Mm -hmm. will do mini uh, position preview podcasts, I believe. Um, when Gio and Will both get back, Gio is with the Salem Red Sox up in Fredericksburg currently, and Will's on vacation. So um, I'm sure they will sort everything out when they get back. But we'll have position previews that you're going to run next week, starting with quarterbacks and running backs. Um, obviously, we have media day next Tuesday. So that'll be a big, big content day. Monday, Randy Jones finance article. That's what we, we penciled in. At some point next week when Will gets back, Will will run Randy Jones finance article. Yeah. So be UV, UVA finally reported their numbers. We always do a VT UVA comparison. Yeah. We do that article every year, and it took UVA three months longer than it normally does to report their numbers this year. So finally having that one. Cool. 
Well, that wraps things up for episode 302 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Thank you to all who, who tuned in, and thank you to everyone on set today. Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist. Um, you can find him at Chris Coleman TSL on Twitter. Andy Bitter, senior staff writer, who's at Andy Bitter VT on Twitter. Big thank you to Nick Brown, who produced this episode. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at NickBrown33. Uh, I'm your host, David Cunningham, Tech Sideline's managing editor, signing off on episode 302 from the Tech Sideline podcast. We'll talk to you next week after Virginia Tech Football Media Day.